Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. It's easy to see that the world needs difference-making Christians. But what can I do? Where do I start? I must realize that I am chosen of the Father, called by the Spirit, and cleansed by the Son, commissioned to go into the world, and covered with grace and peace. Pastor Brad Wells explains the importance of these five truths in this week's message on Making a Difference. Take your Bibles, take your Bibles, everybody, and let's go to First Peter. I want to welcome you again to Graceway Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here. And uh, spring break, we've got some of our students back from college, and that's exciting. And uh, coming back to share all that incredible wealth and knowledge with us here in D.C. Appreciate that. And uh, other people, spring break is coming. 1 Peter is right towards the end of the Bible, Revelation, and then back a few books. And we're going to be talking about how to make a difference. As a matter of fact, the, um, the title of today's message is, Do You Want to Make a Difference? Well, then start here. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to find out or to know where to start. How many of you struggle with that sometimes? You want to clean the shed, you want to clean up the yard, you want to do this, and you don't know where to start. Uh, well, in a big mess, and our world is in a big mess, there's a place that you're supposed to start. And the beginning is the very best place to start. But First Peter chapter number 1 talks about that. So for the next few months, we're going to be in First Peter, and then we're going to go to Second Peter, and then we're going to land in the book of Jude. Those three books go right together. It's all about tough times. It's about trials. It's about temptations. And God's people are going through a real squeeze in the world in this time we live in and in the scriptural truth, but they are chosen to make a difference. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to use you to make a difference. So lean over to somebody to your right and left and say, God wants to use you to make a difference. God wants to use you to make a difference. And I've got five, five little points that I want to bring to us today, uh, present to us five points from the first few verses here of 1 Peter. Actually, we'll just be in the first two verses of 1 Peter, but I would like to uh, read the first nine, if we could. The first nine verses, just to get a uh, trajectory of where we're going, and then we'll develop the first two. It starts off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, 
reserved in heaven for you. Let's read verse 5 together. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, and that's that's really the subject of the whole book, the trial or the testing of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now this is more relevant and more pertinent, more practical than tomorrow's newspaper. This is incredible instruction and direction for us as Americans. But even more so, I believe, the Ukrainians and the Romanians and and all the other nations that are receiving the refugees, and there will be more as the war continues to rage. And people are hurt and killed and displaced, and uh, the lust and greed of sinful men um, takes hold on society. It's going to happen more and more. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells that in the last day, and I believe we're living in the last days, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. That is, you won't know what's really going on, but it will be ugly. There'll be some terrible things. But you can make a difference. I can make a difference. We can have a positive outlook on life, and you can be filled with hope and truth and confidence, and you won't be plagued with doubt and fear different realities that might come upon you. But there's five things that you must get. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, or maybe you can use the back of your bulletin to jot these things down, and I want you to listen so that you might be able to present it to somebody else. And one of our prayers is that this message of hope can get to many of our friends in Ukraine or in the surrounding areas where they have fled and might receive some emotional stability in this great testing in time of trial. Amen? Amen. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1, the very beginning. How can I make a difference? That's our theme for the year. comes from Jude 22. And it's all about how we can make a difference this year and years to follow. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplies. Number one, you need to realize, if you're going to make a difference, you need to realize, you must realize, you are chosen of the Father. That verse number two starts out, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That is, 
you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are God's special ones. You are his chosen ones. You didn't just happen. You're not an accident. You're not, you're not an afterthought. You were designed, you were engineered for a specific purpose. And God wants you to make a difference in such a time as this. That's what this means, elect. That's what it's talking about, foreknowledge. God has a plan, and God chose it, and God has designed you. Let me give you a cross-reference, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 4. Just jot that in your notes, Ephesians 1 and verse number 4. It's a different letter. It's by Apostle Paul. Of course, Peter was written by Peter. But this says, according as he hath chosen us, that is, God's chosen you and me, in him, in God, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The foundation of the world. So before God brought the, the land masses together, before God, the hand of God scooped out the oceans, before God uh, threw the sun and the moon and, and stars into orbit throughout our galaxy, before God engineered and designed all that, before God brought uh, the dust of the earth together and, and breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, before God uh, brought Eve uh, to Adam and, uh, and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And, and everybody's been saying that ever since. It's not good that man should be alone. Before all of that, God thought of you specifically. You are chosen of the Father. You must understand that the lie of happenstance and random chance is, is to control you, is to destabilize you, it's to make you fear, it's to make you think that you can't make a difference. And God wants you to know He created you, He designed you. Now, people make mistakes, and, and maybe... Your parents didn't know what they were doing or whatever. But God never makes mistakes. God never, never makes mistakes. He designed you and engineered you. And even our flaws, I've got flaws, you've got flaws. Maybe they're, they're bigger, maybe they're smaller, maybe they're more obvious, whatever. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's, you know, some other element even your flaws can be used to make a difference and give God glory. It's not just that you bring the assets to God and he can use them, but it's actually you bring him your assets and your liabilities. You bring them to God. Realize, number one, you are chosen of the Father. Now, this is called uh, election. Let's bring up that verse number two, elect according. This is called election. And as they say in politics, elections have consequences. <laughs> but this is all positive. God has elected us according to his sovereignty. So we speak of the sovereignty of God. And God is God, and he's in control, and he knows the end from the beginning. And we don't even know which way is up, but God knows it all. And that's why you can trust him. You are chosen of the Father. Would you Help me speak that into your neighbor and just say, you are chosen of the Father to your neighbor. You are chosen 
of the Father. It's true. It's true. And sometimes we think, now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. We're chosen of the Father? I mean, I don't have a choice in all this whole thing? Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Number two, let me have you write down number two. You are called by the Spirit. You are chosen of the Father, but you are called by the Spirit. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. So, so far, we have God the Father and God the Spirit. By the way, this is speaking of your salvation. God the Father thought it. God the Spirit wrought it. And God the Son bought it. That is our salvation. That is our redemption. And here we have the Trinity going together. By the way, uh, my wife and I picked out that last song there for you specifically. And Tori was like, we need to sing that song. We need to sing that song for the, the glory be to God the Father. Go, glory be to God the Spirit. Glory be to God the Son. We want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And all three, the three parts of the Trinity of God is in your salvation and in mine. So number two, you're called by the Spirit. That is, the Spirit of God begins to convict us of what we've done wrong. And so when you feel that oh, that uneasiness, that, that poking, that prodding in our own heart that I'm not, I'm not doing what's right, that is a blessing. You don't want to get rid of that. You don't want to harden your heart against the conviction of the Spirit of God. You're called by Him. Specifically, it's, it's talking about being sanctified. Now, sanctification is different specifically than salvation. Salvation is step one. Sanctification is step two. And glorification is step three. Salvation is when um, the Lord Jesus Christ saves us. That is, you turn from sin and put your trust in Christ. That's salvation, and it happens instantly, instantly. Sanctification is a process. It happens daily as you get power over sin. And God wants you, through the uh, conviction of the Spirit of God, to have sanctification. Sanctification is when I become like Christ, when you become like Christ, when we embrace the, the characteristics of God. And the characteristics of God, we call it godliness or, or holiness, sanctification. And that's what you're supposed to do every day. You're so, supposed to be sanctified. Now, in the Sunday school lesson today, we talked about the problem of amalgamation. That is where you just fit into and gain acceptance into the society in which you live. And every Christian has had to wrestle with that from the, from the very beginning. What, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to not do? And all these things. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. We're called by the Spirit. Let me give you an alternate word for the word called. We're called by the Spirit. I gave you one, convicted. But let me give you another one that might sit better with you, and that is the word coached. In other words, you have heaven's life coach. As a Christian, the greatest asset that anyone could have, the Spirit of God is wanting to coach you. Now, how many of you have ever, I don't know, been coached in athletics or in uh, school or in, in some, some degree? You've been coached. Let me see your hand. 
Yeah, we've all been coached, and it's a privilege. Now, a coach does what? He tells you what you're doing right, and he tells you what you're doing wrong. And oftentimes, the greatest help is they, they, he or she comes up and says, you know, you're doing this right here, or whatever it is, and you're like, yeah. And they say, don't do that. <laughs> I remember um, in wrestling, my wrestling coach in uh, the 10th grade was Coach Bartlett. He was a short guy and blonde hair and had a big handlebar mustache. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize it then, but he looked like a miniature Hulk Hogan. And uh, his hair was floppy, and, uh, and he was just very, very muscular and quick. And he was a great wrestler. And um, he, would, he would coach us. And it was my first year of wrestling in the 10th grade, and I was not short and muscular. I was tall and gangly, <laughs> and, but I was wrestling, and I was, I was fairly good. As a matter of fact, there was about five guys in my weight class, which was 145, and there was about five of us, and somehow at the end of, um, at the end of uh, our, our first session to make the team, I was rated number one, and I was like, yeah, and Coach Bartlett was training me, and then he uh, also uh, was a, a teacher at school, and in the hallway, he stopped me. He said, great job, great job on tryouts, and we'll see you right after practice, and like this, and like that. He says, we got a special surprise for you, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the special surprise was, was a challenge to my position. My position of holding uh, the number one position came from a young man named Tony, and Tony had been wrestling ever since he was young, and he was built like Coach Bartlett. And, and Coach Bartlett said to me, he said, Brad, don't reach back. You always reach back. Stop reaching back. Keep, keep Tony in front of you. Don't reach back. If he gets behind you and he's going to, don't reach back. You spin around, but don't reach back. Well, I got in there. I thought I was going to do my stuff. Tony won first in state all four years, and in a matter of a few seconds, he had me tied up, and then he released me again, and I jumped back up, and I thought, oh, I escaped. I didn't escape. <laughs> and the whole team is gathered around, and everybody knew who Tony was, and nobody knew, well, especially me, I didn't realize how uh, inferior I was. And I was, and Coach Bartlett was only talking to me. He wasn't even talking to Tony. And this challenge or, or a wrestle off was, was in, to encourage the guys to, well, to climb the ladder and step forward. And maybe my arrogance or whatever it was made me step forward and absolutely become the lesson for everybody to not do that anymore. <laughs> but in my own mind, I felt that as this other opponent of mine was right here that I could reach up and grab him. And I mean, Coach Bartlett would just yell at me. Get your hands down. What are you doing? And I mean, he was, you know, he was for me. Now, in a much higher and perfect way, the Holy Spirit of God is coaching you. And he's coaching you and me every single day. And he's saying, do this and stop doing that. Now, everything in my heart said, I need to control this guy or get a hold of this guy's arm, and I would reach back. And I thought I was reaching back to get him, but actually I was handling, handing him what Coach Bartlett called a handle, and that's my arm. Now, 
Tony would just grab my arm and twist me any which way I wanted. I handed him a handle, and I had to learn to keep my elbows in and keep myself going forward and don't give somebody a handle. I believe many of us are giving the devil a handle in our life. And the Holy Spirit of God is saying, stop doing that. And it's called conviction. It's called a calling. But maybe we'll listen better if you realize it's your personal coaching. The Holy Spirit of God is coaching you so that you can make it to godliness, holiness, which is called your sanctification. You're saved, but we all need to grow in the sanctification of the Spirit. See, you are set aside for a holy purpose. You are to be separate. And what that means is, as we talked about last week, the Holy Bible, Holy Land, uh, the Holy City, that's God's private property. I am God's private property. You are God's private property. And the Holy Spirit of God is saying, as your coach, stop doing this, start doing that, watch out for this, watch out for that. Now, I want you to notice both um, the choosing of the Father and the calling or coaching of the Spirit has really not much to do with us. That fits in the sovereignty of God. But right on its tail is our responsibility. Through sanctification of the Spirit, and what's the next two words say it? Now that's where we step in. See, God has chosen us, the Spirit has called us, and we must obey. Obey implies we have a responsibility or we have a choice in the matter. And the sovereignty of God never negates the responsibility of man. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to turn from your sin and trust Christ. If you're here today or you're watching online and you are not saved, and you know the Bible and you know God and you know Jesus and, and, and you know a lot of these things that we're talking about, but you have, have not repented of your sin, you are held responsible. You must you must, God, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is calling all men everywhere to repent of their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is calling each and every one of us to step forward in more God-likeness and more holiness, which is referred to as our sanctification. We're chosen of the Father. We're called by the Spirit. So how does this work out? Maybe it's like one writer uh, talked about five, six hundred years ago, that you approach the door of heaven and you see written over the door of heaven, whosoever will may come. And as you enter through heaven's door, you glance back and it no longer says whosoever will may come, but it says chosen before the foundation of the world. From man's side, whosoever may come. From God's side, chosen from the foundation, before the foundation of the world. You say, that doesn't quite make sense. I don't understand it. Well, that makes two of us, okay? We don't fully understand it. That is an amazing thing. It's part of the power of God, the majesty of God. Chosen of the Father, called by the Spirit. Number three, jot this down. We are cleansed by the Son. Back to 1 Peter 1, verse number 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is speaking of our direct salvation, cleansed by the Son, that is purified, that is saved. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7, it says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And good fellowship is to be in the light of God's illumination. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is the atonement. This is sacrificial atonement. Now, there's three times in the Old Testament where there was the sprinkling of blood. And uh, Peter is writing to the to the early Christians, they were all Jewish, and they understood uh, the Levitical duties and the, the Torah, the law, that spoke of these three times. Uh, the first one would be when you are cleansed from a plague of leprosy or of some other malady. You would go to the priest, and there would be a sprinkling of this blood. You would, you would bring a dove, and that blood would be that, that animal would be a substitution for you, and, and it would uh, be an atonement for that plague of leprosy. By the way, leprosy in the Bible is, is reference and it pictures sin and how sin spreads from one person to another. And so watch out, the, watch out for the sin that you're allowing yourself to be around. It will have power and influence over you. And the second time is when somebody was consecrated to the priesthood. That is, you are identified, you are specifically consecrated to be an ambassador of God. That's true of every Christian. The Bible says that God has made us a priest unto him, every Christian. And the third time is the covenant promise of God specifically to Israel. And God has made a covenant promise to each one of us as Christians in Jesus Christ. In other words, that Old Testament sprinkling of blood is simply a foreshadowing of the truth of Jesus Christ that he cleanses and purifies us with his own blood. And sometimes we think of sin as the color black, but that's the Bible doesn't talk about sin being black. The Bible actually speaks of sin being red. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. And so when sin that's red is covered by the blood of the sacrifice that's red, red on red makes white. That is the purification, the cleansing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Jot that in your margin, if you would. Revelation 1 and verse number 5. We're talking about how we're saved. We're purified. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. That is, Jesus Christ was the first raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. Jesus was raised from the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and let's say that last phrase together, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That speaks of the atonement and sacrifice. His life for mine. He died, although he was perfect, he died so that 
you and me, who are sinners and imperfect, can live. And he is pure and perfect and just and righteous, and we're condemned and, and filthy and unholy, and God wants us to go free. So our first three points, number one, it's the Trinity working for our salvation. Number one, we are chosen of the Father. God designed us and engineered us, and he loves us, and we're God's special people. And then we're called by the Spirit or convicted or, or coached as God is uh, making us to be more like him every day. And then we are cleansed by the Son. We are cleansed by the Son. That is, God the Father thought it, God the Spirit wrought it, and God the Son bought it. Now, number four, if you're jotting this down, not only that, but we are commissioned to go into the world. Commissioned to go into the world. See, we are pictured and described as seeds. That is, we have life within us, but in the church, we can do no good. We've got to get out of the church. The farmer's got to get the seed out of the barn and into the field. And so the very first little phrase here in verse number 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers what? Scattered. Now this is speaking specifically to those early Jewish believers that when they identify Jesus as the Messiah, he is the promised one, he is the anointed one, they were rejected by their own people, just as Jesus was, came unto his own and his own received him not. And those people would say, Jesus is the Messiah and I'm turning from my own sin and I'm trusting him. Instead of gaining any sort of notoriety in society, they would be ostracized. They would, be, they would lose their jobs. If they own their own business, they would lose their customers. Often, they would be kicked out of their homes and even referred to as dead. Some families would even hold funerals for their living kids and say they're, they're dead to us. They recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were strangers Scattered. Now, this is very important for you to understand. And in America, which has such deep roots in Christianity, and, and we have such a culture that adheres to morality and church, and, you know, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, if you weren't a member of a church, you would, you'd be hard-pressed to get a job. If you didn't um, ascribe to the morality and live out the morality uh, that society expected, you would be ostracized and people wanted nothing to do with you. And so we often think of Christianity as kind of part of the stairway, climbing the ladder of, of our occupation or of our society. But that wasn't always the case. As a matter of fact, Christians, for the majority of the history of the world, could be easily described by those two words, strangers scattered. In the year 79, not 1979, but the year 79, Nero burned Rome. And he was a great builder. 
Uh, Herod was a great builder. Nero wanted to be a great builder. But he had these slums that these strangers that had been scattered were living in in Rome. And so his Nero's henchmen went through and they burned out uh, those slums. And the goal was to build some magnificent buildings. Well, somebody had to be blamed for this atrocity and society really got upset and started turning against him. And so it was very easy to blame this new group, mostly Jewish followers that recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And they talk, they're always talking about the fire of God. And they're always talking about, uh, I don't know, some, some people were saying like they were cannibals or they drank blood and all this sort of stuff. And it was the twisting of the, of the uh, sacred elements of, of the Lord's Supper and, all, and, and Passover. And so this rumor went out that it was the Christians that were trying to burn down Rome. And God allowed it. You see, God doesn't want you and I to feel too much at home in this world. It seems every nest here on this earth seems to have a thorn in it. And God just doesn't allow us to get too comfortable. Acts chapter 8 speaks a little bit more about this. In Acts 8 and verse number 4, it says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And it's not necessarily that God wants to hurt us or God doesn't want to bless us. He does. But we have to realize that we are commissioned to go into the world. Now, from the human side of time, it looks like God doesn't care about us. It looks like maybe God is even sadistic and wants to hurt us. But it's not true. It's not true at all. From heaven's door, we could look out and we could see that God is commissioning us and we, we kind of settle in and, and fluff our pillow and, and make ourselves at home. And God is saying, there's a whole world that needs to hear the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so he's spurring us on and spurring us out. You know, the most miserable person in the world is not a rank heathen. Heathens aren't the most miserable people in the world. As a matter of fact, Wicked heathen often feel quite at home and do fairly well. My experience, and I think you could do a little research and see that the most miserable people in the world are Christians trying to gain acceptance in an ungodly society. And our society is turning ungodly, rejecting God and embracing all sorts of heathen, pagan, wicked ideas. Don't try to gain acceptance from the society in which we live. You are chosen of the Father. You're coached by the Spirit, and you are commissioned into this world. That is, you know this song, this world is not my home. I'm just what? A passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, and I don't have a friend like God. Oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. And if heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? See, we need to identify as ambassadors from heaven. We are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven or waiting to go to heaven. We are ambassadors of heaven trying to influence earth. And so that is our, our, our symbol this year. 
We are embracing our ambassadorship, our commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we have to realize that for these years, we are going to be strangers. We are going to be pilgrims. We are going to be foreigners. We are going to be sojourners in a strange land. But that's okay. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Look at 1 Peter 2. So this is the next chapter. We're in chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11. And Peter says the same thing several times. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so church, you need to realize right back to the beginning and all through the middle and up to the end, we are to be these pilgrims, sojourners. And we're going to look different in order to make a difference. So different that people would say, that's strange, that's odd. We're strangers. How? How? Because we abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, let me give you um, some incentive that will encourage you right here and right now. Not just heaven, but right now. These fleshly lusts, they do something. They war against the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so when I, instead of abstain from fleshly lusts, when I embrace fleshly lusts, it wars against my soul. I said three words for soul. What were those? The, the mind, will, and emotions. The mind, will, and emotions. That's the soul. Now that, that part of me is going to get wrung out. The mind, will, and emotions will I will turn into some Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality as my soul is getting wrung out. I will become that sick saint and that spiritual neurotic. That's where I, just, I have just enough of the world to make me miserable with God and just enough of God to make me miserable in the world. And probably every one of us have been at that stage. We're trying to embrace fleshly lusts, and it's warring against our soul. James chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, and let's say this together, a double-minded man is unstable in some of his ways, right? In that one specific way, where I'm double-minded in that one element, I'm unstable in that one element, right? The Word says that when I'm double-minded, I'm an unstable in all my ways. It affects my whole soul. My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. And so when I'm double-minded about this issue, it squeezes me and rips me apart. And it affects this over here and that over there, and I'm a mess. How many of you can say, wow, I have been in this place before. Raise your hand. I have. I have been in this place. And the solution is make up your mind. Make up your mind. Decide who you want to be. 
Now listen, God is for you. You are chosen of the Father. You are called and coached by the Spirit. You've been cleansed by the Son, and you've been commissioned into the world. But the mistake that I make and that you make and that all Christians make, and Brother Tyker brought this up uh, in a few months ago in, in his good message, that all of a sudden we start identifying more with the people that we're an ambassador to than our home country. Our citizenship is in heaven. You are God's chosen, and you are an ambassador to this society. And don't expect to make a difference until you can embrace the difference that you are in Christ. They say in foreign countries when you travel, don't drink the water. Stay away from that. Why? You're not acclimated to that. It'll hurt you. It'll war against your stomach. Well, these are things that war against your, your soul. I guess really just you need to realize you are an ambassador on foreign soil. And really, the difficulty is no ambassador really does a good job until they fully integrate. I mean, they can speak the language and they can drink the coffee and they can look like this and, and they can communicate. And then the danger is you start to identify with the wrong group. And that's what you struggle with and that's what I struggle with. You're chosen of the Father. You're called by the Spirit. You're cleansed by the Son. You're commissioned to go into the world. And one last quick one, number five, and it's at the end of verse number two. You are covered with grace and peace. You are covered with grace and peace. Once again, let's read together 1 Peter 1 and verse number 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. In other words, even though you are a stranger, you're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner, you're, you're like seeds that somebody is just throwing into the field. And many of you, most of us, are here in this city, and we're from other places. And half the time we're like, what are we doing here? We are strangers that are scattered, not by the wind, but the very hand of God took us and is planting us. And I want to say, you must bloom where you're planted. You've got to grow. You've got to take root downward and produce fruit upward. That's what God wants you to do. Don't pine away. Don't wish and don't dream and don't cultivate feelings and thoughts about some other place that God has not put you. You're commissioned. Wherever you're at, be fully there. Get in. Love it. When we moved to D.C., uh, I, I leaned over to Tori, and Tori was just young. I said, our favorite teams are D.C. teams. Uh, we root for the home team, and we just, we just took on that identity. Now, that was fairly easy because we were from Idaho, and all they had was a college football team and uh, nothing else. So we jumped right in. But that's what you need to do. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about forsaking the Phillies. I'm not doing that, okay? You know? <clears throat> I'm talking about letting God prosper you, grace unto you. Now, grace, we talk about this all the time, but it's, it needs to be spoken. Grace isn't talking just about tolerance. It's talking about favor, 
approval, acceptance. That is, God wants you to feel heaven's favor, heaven's approval, heaven's acceptance, heaven's respect, and it results in an elegance. It results in charm, poise, and agility. Confidence to do your job. How do I feel that? I feel like such an imposter. How do I do this? Here it is. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. God wants his people to feel confident and approved. Not by this society and that society and these other people put their stamp of approval. No. It's heaven. I'm working for heaven. So no matter what I do, where I go, I am seeing myself as heaven's ambassador, and I'm, I am filled with this grace and peace. It's not just added to me. It's multiplied. So the next question is, by what factor? By the factor of what is grace and peace multiplied to me? no matter what situation I'm in. And, and let me say this to our uh, displaced Ukrainian friends. Um, no matter what society is going through, no matter what is happening uh, on the front, the battlefront, the ravages of war, no matter where your family is or what's going on, grace and peace are multiplied unto God's people and God's children. Amen? Listen, God loves you. He has not forgotten you. And this trial of your faith, it might seem to overwhelm you. But listen, God will get you through. Lean hard on God and hold strong to him. Don't look to man, although God might bring man to deliver and help. That, that, God often does that. But you have to look to God. God will deliver you. God will hold you up. And God will keep you. Every Christian, you should feel that you're God's favorite son or daughter. You, sh you should. I do. But all God's people should. And if you don't feel like you're God's favorite, something is wrong. And you need to embrace that God's chosen you. And his spirit is coaching you. And his son is cleansing you. See, you are saved the moment you turn from your sin and trust to Christ. You were saved immediately from the penalty of sin. But then every day, as you're coached by the Spirit of God, you're saved from the power of sin in your life. And then one wonderful day, you will be saved from the very presence of sin. We'll be in heaven. We'll be glorified. God will lead us, and God will guide us. When you are born again, my friends, you're born to win. My wife is playing the piano right now, and I'd like to ask that you'd stand to your feet bow your heads and close your eyes and I've given you five foundational fundamental truths absolutely essential for me making a difference for you making a difference not just in this society but every society all through time I'm chosen of the father I'm called by the spirit I'm coached by the spirit I'm cleansed by the son once for all, every day, I'm commissioned to go into the world and I'm covered with grace and peace. I'm covered.
you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or come visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. We'll be back next week with another message from Graceway Baptist Church, right here on Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill.